Hello, everyone. Thanks again for joining us on Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. I'm your host, Carly McBride. As always, don't forget to subscribe to Order Up on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. This week, Order Up is sharing a very special interview with Christina Tozzi from Milk Bar. This interview was conducted by the National Restaurant Association partner, Heartland. Their entrepreneur's studio shares high-quality conversations with small and big business leaders. This is episode one of a two-part series. Check the show notes to listen to the second half of the conversation. One of my favorite parts of the entrepreneur studio is this origin story step. Mm -hmm. And we were talking just a couple minutes ago about how you don't always get a chance to sort of unpack the whole story, especially in depth. So I like to kind of start at the top. It's like, you know, so you got baked goods and, and stuff like that. What is sort of your first sweets memory? Ooh, my first sweets memory is a funny one. I was in preschool and I only know that I was in preschool based on the location of the memory. This is all, this is way back. This is great. I don't remember anything else about that time, but I remember this memory. My mom had come to pick my older sister and myself up from the kindergarten preschool we were going to. And we were in this, um, the family car was this like dusty blue Ford Taurus. Okay. I know exactly where I sat because I sat in the same seat. I always sat in the mm -hmm. back seat behind the driver. My mm -hmm. sister always sat in- Assigned seats? The always assigned okay. seats. I, my mom definitely had a system to things. Mm. She had a system to everything, which is what makes this story so interesting. She's pulling out and going like halfway down the driveway of the school. And then out of nowhere, she pulls the car to the side and she reaches back for her like purse that's in that, you know, when you used to have sedans and there was like the armrest that you yeah. rest oh, things yeah. on. Mm -hmm. And she, I, I'm like, we didn't do anything wrong. Like why she pulled over the oh, car? She goes and grabs her purse and out of her purse, she pulls a bag of sugar babies. And I remember what time of year it was because the sugar babies were warm. Like it, they had been sitting in her bag. Yeah in a warm car. So they were like sugar babies in this weird, brilliant, gooey, warm state. Oh. And she ripped open the bag and she poured a little into my sister's hand and poured a little into my hand, poured a little into her hand. These are like, mom had rules. Like these yeah. were not normal. This, this is not, not a, a normal mom thing. And I was like, do we do something great? Or it's not report card day. I don't know what brought it upon her, but that's my first moment, my first memory of sweets but it also the feeling that it imprinted yeah in my memory but also like in my belly and yeah, my yeah. soul like that that heartbeat that connects all those things that moment of like surprise what the heck are we celebrating mm -hmm. moment and the power of it yeah. like i didn't i i sort of my mantra is like in every part of my life business or otherwise yeah. is this you've been training for this moment your entire life mm -hmm. you just have to look around and put the pieces together to yeah. know it and to acknowledge it and that's probably my earliest example of it okay so i totally thought you were going a different direction <laughs> oh god what did you think I it was totally gonna be? was like we pulled over to the side she got out of her purse i thought it was like her driver's license y'all are getting pulled over and then she was gonna give baked oh, goods she i just want to be clear chris that's definitely my mom's name is greta 
That's definitely a Greta move. Okay. She a hundred percent. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I have this extra brownie Ooh. and like a little baggie. Are you hungry? Like a kill them with kindness, but also <laughs> use the <laughs> I want to acknowledge that I was to going bend too fast. the rules a little bit. She is a lead foot. Okay. She gets places quickly. Okay. She's very um, efficient. And she uses those baked goods for all different All right. Things. So here's what I'm learning about Greta. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll talk about female influences. But this is what I'm learning about Greta. She has a system for everything. She's a lead foot, drives fast. She has raised you to have a styrofoam plate of something when you're visiting somebody that are baked goods. And uh, I think I already said she has a system for everything. So that's those are the breads. Uh, and she also knows the secret to life is always having a snack in your bag. Oh, my goodness. All right. So it's true. So strong female influences. Yeah. Your mom definitely has got a plan, sounds like. Yes. What are some of the other sort of strong female influences that maybe shaped some of your points of view? Both of my grandmothers were incredibly fierce women. Mm -hmm. um, my mom was a working mom and an accountant. So I would say, you know, between January and April 15th, my grandmas played a really big part in my um, upbringing because they were sort of like the de facto caregiver because my mom was busy crushing it at work. Yep. Fierce grandmas, they each loved to bake that they had a different style of baking, mm -hmm. but baking, spending time in the kitchen, making something, pulling it out of the oven mm -hmm. was a part of just the daily routine and daily life. One was a little softer. One was a little harder. Mm -hmm. One was a little more quiet. They both were quiet, but one was a little bit more like, gusto. like country grandma, tough love. And they shaped a lot of my female influence, as did my mom. I think my grandmothers gave me this incredible sense of like warmth and nostalgia. But more than anything, I have been obsessed with being excited about becoming an old lady mm. since I was, I don't know, five, six, seven. Can't wait right? like, that, I right? can't wait to wear cardigans. Oh I can't wait gosh. to wear polyester yeah. pants and do what I want and say what I want. And like there was a confidence in each of them mm. in different ways that I very much picked up on and that resonated with me. I have an older sister. She's also very fierce. She played more of the role of like the older sister that would tell you exactly what she thought and how it was. Mm -hmm. I am the youngest Scorpio in a family lineage <laughs> of female Scorpios. Okay. If you know anything, I'm basically last. I know where my place is in the pecking order. I'm at the bottom. People want to know what I have to think about in my family the last. So you're saying there was a caste <laughs> system. But yeah, but those, those strong female influences played a really big role Beyond that, I had a lot of strong male influences. And mm. I think the biggest thing about my mom, she was an accountant her whole profession. And I would watch her like get dressed for work and she'd be like in really big, almost like you would think she put like her football pads on mm -hmm. before she put on her. So the 80s, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she very much dressed the way that the men dressed in her firm. I mean, she climbed her way up to becoming mm -hmm. like managing partner of her firm and she did it on her terms, but watching in different ways and how she sort of like tore down the system to build it back up, or I call it like the sweat down. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize what an influence that would make until I moved to New York City to become a pastry chef and realized, oh, I'm putting myself like smack dab in the middle of a very male dominated industry at yeah. the time. And that I had all the tools. I had all of the answers and the tools 
already sort of built in me by example that I would go to often. And that just seemed normal, to be quite honest. Yeah, that's amazing. It seems like one of those stories that you have a lot of, you know, vivid memories, it seems like. But at the same time, it's one of those pieces that you really respond to how things feel. Right? Super emotional. Yeah, super emotional. So there's emotion attached with this. Does that sort of permeate everything that you do? You know, I wouldn't describe myself as an overly emotional person, which is very funny to say because the truth of the matter is that I use my gut to guide almost everything that I do Mm -hmm. from my personal relationships to how I think about building and running Milk Bar. It's all very guttural and instinctual. I love the intellectual (laughs) side of it. I'm not wildly emotional about things. I suppose I wear my heart on my sleeve, but I wouldn't, you know, like my emotions. You don't have ups and downs. Yeah, I I I suppose it depends on how how one hears the word emotional, but it's very true to like what's in me. That's it's just the way that I know how to be. And it's well, that's just really the way that I, I am. That's really powerful. So you've you've got a lot of intuition, right? So you operate from your gut, and you had some teaching, learning, observation growing up of people who were able to guard their intuition and not have people question it. Because that's that's always the tough one is when people are like, I really is that really what you should be doing? And you're like, No, this is what we're doing. It is. It's true. Though I will say, there's something about being the youngest member of a family of really confident, sure people Mm. where I had those same things built in, but I'm quiet. I am a resting introvert. Okay. Like if it makes no sense what I do on many levels, it does because to work in a kitchen, it's a very solitary pursuit. You're doing it late at night or early in the morning when no one else is awake. And you, you at least I got into the profession because you did it behind closed doors. Yeah. You could sort of be the person that was baking the things that then showed up on this plate mm-hmm. to make someone's moment. Mm-hmm. But because I'm an introvert, I had all of these things and ideas and thoughts. I just never shared them. Part, probably because I'm also stubborn, <laughs> didn't share them just in terms of, I mean, I had to be yeah, stubborn yeah. to survive a little totally. bit, right? I'm not going to tell you what I think. You're just going to no. shoot me yeah, down. Yeah. And I know what I know. I don't need to know what you think about what oh, I know. That's so good. That's definitely like a secret to survival. And then I think the other piece is I was more of a listener than a talker based on my upbringing. So I had this confidence that was that was in me. But I never really had to think about saying it out loud because I just I knew it instinctually. I knew it deep inside. And so when I was when I decided after like going to college, okay, um, I majored in mathematics, Italian language. So I'm either going to be an actuary or a translator. And I was like, "Mm, you might want to go back and rethink that, Christina. And I thought, well, I also really like to bake. And so I know what I'll do. I'll move to New York City. I'll go to culinary school. I want to become the best possible pastry chef in the place that would be the hardest to succeed. And so I just told my mom a few days before I was going to move to New York City, hey, mom, I'm going to move to New York City. She's like, you don't know anyone. You don't have a place to live. Where are you going to work? Sort of thing. And it was a quick conversation because it was like, I'm going to figure it out. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But that's a little bit of, that was my idea of Milk Bar, like all of these things in my life. It's, it makes sense to me, but that's been a big growth opportunity as leader as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a hard right turn to go like math major, start, you know, a culinary school baking. That's like, that's... 
Yeah. But it all, if you think about it, so I, I originally went to college to be a mechanical engineer. And I was like, science, I'm not sure that this is for me, which is hilarious because obviously baking is quite scientific. It is, yeah. But what I did, what those two things represent, what those two subjects represent were things that I was like, had an undying passion for. I still have a book of math problems that I keep in my bag for when I like travel in case I get bored because doing math problems brings me joy. And I speak Italian to my daughter, Frankie, because speaking Italian, speaking a different language, especially this language, brings me joy. So my guideposts have always been do the things that you're the most passionate about. And for me, passion is the things that you opt into, the things that you do regardless of what everyone else is doing and whether someone's looking or not. Like they're just the things that bring you the pure, unadulterated joy that make you feel most like you. Yeah. Those were those two things. They seem a little wacky. It's definitely right brain, left brain. But I knew enough by my sweet, amazing, regimented mom to be like, when college is up, babe, you're getting a full-time job and Mm -hmm. you're out in the workforce, find something you're passionate about and do it with all your might. And I just kind of, you know, took score of what I had and was like, I don't think it's either one of these things. That's the thing that I can say is the thing for me forever for the rest of my life with the utmost passion. But somehow baking was. So you finished and majored and then went to culinary school. So it's like, was it sort of a check the box thing? It was. was Okay. It was a family agreement. My parents were both first generation college goers and they worked really hard to set us up for success with our education, continuing education. And the agreement was always, you can do whatever you choose to do professionally in life, but you have to get a college education first. Got to go to college, then you can do whatever you want to do. I think they were like, she's going to be a passionate lawyer. (laughs) It's going to be great, Chris. Yeah. So the whole, I would like to kind of start fresh and go to a really tricky city to figure out how to make it. Mm. And then start from the bottom and figure out how to work my way up in an industry that, by the way, at least back then, certainly not um, glamorized maybe the way that it is today. Yeah, yeah. You had like old Parisian chefs or old Spanish chefs or, you know what I mean? the big hat, I mean, that's what everybody thought. (laughs) The toque. You know what I think is uh, amazing about that is you were like, hey, you know what? I'm going to honor my parents and then I'm going to take the reins. And I loved how you, how you said passion is what brings you the most joy. I think uh, passion is also what's most life-giving to you. Yes. And, you know, I think having the intuition to chase that and having the gusto and the guts to chase that, I think is really powerful. What are some of the things you've seen other people that have gotten, what's gotten in the way of that? Because that's a moment where you're mm-hmm. like, this is my, I'm either going to be somebody else or be what what somebody else wants me to be but I, or I'm going to be myself. What are some of the things you've you've met with other people that you've seen them sort of face a similar thing and struggle with it and what what advice would you give to them? It's such a great question. I think being practiced at turning off either all the all the other voices in your head or all the other voices that are external. It's easy enough for me to say, it's great. Just don't share your vision with anyone. Just go out and do it. Mm -hmm. Then you don't have to be worried about judgment or feedback or what have you. But I've seen so many people struggle with the, I think this is what I'm passionate about, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Or 
the life realities that we think we have to measure up to, whether that's, you know, financial or other sort of like measures of one's steady, responsible state. For me, all I can say is like passion is the thing that feeds you regardless of who you are, where you live or how you spend your time or literally what you can put on the table. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that that's easy for a 20 something year old version of me to say, because that my only responsibility was myself. Mm -hmm. And so it was the perfect time for me to have that conversation with myself about what is your passion. I'm also an optimist, but I'd like to think that when you figure out what that thing is, the way that passion works is you do it with all your might mm -hmm. and it figures itself out. It figures a way to and through to make it work. So it's really the conundrum of if there are other voices, whether they're in your head or they're voices that other people are bringing to the conversation, how do you have the conversation with yourself mm -hmm. in privacy, mm -hmm. in a vacuum where you can quiet all of the other things, where yeah. you can answer that one question. No buts are allowed into the conversation. Mm -hmm. No what ifs. Mm -hmm. That for me, I think, is how you really know, find, discover, state what your passion is. Mm, that's good. And if you're passionate about it, again, like you've been training for this moment all your life. The breadcrumbs of it are living out loud. Mm. Maybe you just can't see them. So as much as I would say, don't have the conversation with anyone, maybe someone in your life is actually the one that can help point to, well, wait a second. I always see you, you know, you're always the first one to show up to do this. You're always the one to take a photo. Or you're always the one that's creatively brainstorming or whatever the passion is. Maybe it's about opening up the conversation to mm -hmm. other people because chances are if you're really passionate about it, it's showing itself yeah. somewhere in your life very often. Yeah, and you got to have people you can trust who can call that stuff out and and bring that life-giving thing out that maybe you don't see. Because here's the deal. Entrepreneurs face that moment, yes. right? It's like uh, there's a decision, you know, and it maybe, maybe doesn't necessarily feel like a moment. A lot of people that we talk mm -hmm. to, it's like, uh, I remember when I signed the first check. I remember mm -hmm. when I got the first idea. I remember, you know, there, there's this catalytic moment that uh, people come to. And uh, the thing is, is that a lot of entrepreneurs or people who maybe don't start businesses two things in the way, you know, from, from uh, well, maybe the, the strongest pursuits, a, a better way to say it is when your thoughts and your feelings are the same. So that mm. the, you're like, I'm ready to go after it. And my thoughts and my feelings match. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And that's when it works itself out. And I wonder how many people get lost in that moment of, I don't know what my passion is. I don't feel that serendipitous moment. Right. I don't think that that is something that everybody has to have. But when you look back, I most people remember there was one, but you don't feel it and and in the moment. It really is in hindsight. I 100% agree. The passion thing is I'm passionate about math and Italian. Let's just use yeah. that as an example, right? Use your passion as your guidepost more mm. than anything. You aren't going to know what your moment is to mm. your point. You aren't going to be able to actually pin most people don't or can't we can in hindsight. Yes. But if you're always dotting your path, which I believe is never a straight and narrow, it is meant to be a winding road. There's some loop-de-loops. Maybe it feels like a roller yeah, coaster, yeah. right? Like, But as long as you're using your passion, your gut, whatever that instinct is, 
as your guideposts along mm -hmm. the way, you'll look back and go, oh man, this, that, the other, and be able to connect them all or be able to pinpoint a moment that was pivotal to you. But I think this very conversation is the best piece of advice, which is also don't go searching for that moment. Yeah. Just take one step forward every yeah. single day. Like I didn't think moving to New York City was my, I was like, I made it yeah. because yeah. I arrived on a Chinatown bus in New York City. It was just what I needed to do to feed this next step in my like guideposts of like passionate pursuit in life. Yeah, it's what you it set your sights on. That's it. It wasn't, if it's not this, it's, you know, it's not all or nothing. It's be courageous to let that lead you. Mm -hmm push it with all your might and know that at some point you'll look back in the review and be like, wow, that was a pretty big day. I didn't even really, you know, it was just one step forward. It was just one day in a series of really great days, but everything leads up to moments. And I, I really do believe in that you have been training for whatever your moments are in life, your whole life, like your destiny by virtue of it being your destiny is impossible to miss. Yeah. So going around going, oh, I, oh, the sliding doors moment or the this or the that, it's like, you're not gonna miss your destiny. Yeah. You just won't. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's not your destiny. Mm -hmm. So don't houlda, woulda, coulda, shoulda mm -hmm. it. And don't go looking for that big break or big moment. And just look at everything as one step forward, the opportunity to take one step forward. I think that's one of the, my favorite parts of being an entrepreneur is the, the moment where you're, uh, there are people, and, and I think this is the threshold. You, you either cross over or you don't. People will come up with it. Lots of people have ideas. And everybody wants a sign that success is imminent, right? And that failure is not going to happen. And there's a lot of people who stay and they wait on that point. I think the best part about any artist or entrepreneur or you know anyone that's taking a risk decides, you know what, it's, it's success isn't a guarantee, but I'm doing it anyway. Because I have to. Yeah. Because I have to, because it's not about failure or success. I have to, because it's what is in me that has to come out. One of the things though, you're checking in with yourself a lot. You've, you've got this like, you know, you're you talking about your intuition and you're like revisiting these things. It seems like you do some check-ins mm. with where you're at and why you're doing what you're doing. And maybe they're short, slight. You're like, you know what I mean? It's almost like you have like a daily, how, what's my intuition today? And uh, you're like, I'm doing I, yeah, the right thing. That, I think that's probably, it's like a temperature take. I'd yeah. say I'm, I'm um, I have a pretty healthy um, internal dialogue and I'm pretty hard on myself in that internal dialogue. And so I'm constantly trying to find like homeostasis in my own head Yeah. to sort of say like, did you leave this place better than you found it today, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you happy with what you're doing? Are you driven? Did you do good today? Like, are you proud of the work that you did today? What could you do better? Like I'm constantly searching for what that homeostasis is, mm -hmm. but it's not like a practiced routine or yeah. ritual. It's just my reality, whether I'm walking to the subway or I'm usually a long distance runner because that's where I can really go to, I think, be with my thoughts and then quiet them because at mm -hmm. some point you got to tell them to yeah. hush up. We're taking a step forward today, whether you like it or not. But I think allowing for that is important. Again, I'm not practiced at anything like prescriptive. It's yeah. just... It's not like you I journal them, those answers no. every day. And I'm so impressed by people that do that sort of stuff. I just know it to be true in my head. Like if you're knocking on my door up here, at, you know, and we're going to have a chat, let's have a chat. But mm -hmm. I, I use that as part of my guideposts as well. Man, that's so good.
We talked about getting to culinary school. Talk about maybe the birth of Milk Bar. Oh, so culinary school made it, made it through. <laughs> I thought that because I'm quite competitive with myself, I thought that if you love to bake for a living and you were going to professionalize that, you went to culinary school, you became a pastry chef. The way that translated in the workforce was you became the pastry chef of the most celebrated high-end restaurant, right? It's high-end for a reason. We're, we're taught to think like about hierarchical pyramidal thing. Okay, it's the tippy top. Mm-hmm. I want to be the best at what I can be with my passion. And so I worked my way up fine dining restaurants in New York City, which in and of itself was an incredible education on many different levels of grit, of will, of is this really your passion Mm. if you're getting stripped down, of not being good at it at first, and then having to come to terms with what it takes to really learn and hone a craft Mm. aloud because you don't do it like a kitchen is full of people that are staring at your successes and mistakes. It's hustle, it's bustle, it's intense, right? It's, it's, I learned so much there, but what I learned most importantly in my journey was I would get to the top of these fine dining restaurants and sort of go, oh, where's the plate of brownies? You know, like I loved so much about the profession of being a restaurant pastry chef, mm-hmm. but I could never find the part of myself and my passion that was like the Greta showing up with the plate of cookies. Mm-hmm that the underdog nature of that, the accessibility of being able to show up on someone's doorstep, the power of a little square or a little round of something and the joy that it brought in a democratized, really accessible way. And so I got out of the restaurant industry because I couldn't see myself fully in it. Tried a bunch of different things on for size tried being a food stylist, I tried being a caterer, I tried being a food writer, I tried being a food photographer. I tried so many different things on, but I really missed being in the kitchen. Again, not a straight and narrow path, yeah. right? And I was like, you know, what would be great is if I could take everything I knew about being a pastry chef and the parts of it that I love from a technique and an innovation standpoint, but weave it through the lens of something that my mom would walk into or show up at your doorstep with. Mm. I looked around, it didn't exist. There were high-end restaurants and there were the sort of like cool retro bakeries where you could get like an oatmeal raisin cookie or a red velvet layer cake, all great things. But I had this idea that I could democratize dessert in a way that reached beyond what the matriarchs of my family did and met me where I was Mm. in my pastry chef journey. And my sort of like self-dialogue is when you look around and you think something should exist that doesn't in the world, what do you do? You build it. Mm. And so I figured out how to find a space, sign a lease, and I opened the doors of Milk Bar November 15th, 2008. That's unbelievable. Crazy time to open. <laughs> that is a crazy a time. But what do you, I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur, yeah. right? Like, how would you describe it when you believe, when something makes sense in your head? Yeah. And you look around and it doesn't exist. Yes. What do you do? Like, were those your moments every yeah. time you started a business? Yeah. So the thing that's awesome is, you know, when you're starting a business, I was closing one. <laughs> for different reasons, uh, that recession was wild and I was in the real estate market. So I like really complex problems. Mm-hmm. I like to solve really complex problems. And it's one of those things like 
if you do see, I look at it as if something doesn't exist, you're going to build it. I'm like so down with that. And if something is really complex and you feel like you can help, mm. it's like, I'm, mm. I'm down for that too. I mean, that's the reason we do this thing. It's like, you know, small business uh, or just entrepreneurship in general is hard as crap. <laughs> you know, I mean, the stuff that you face every day and who's going to sit down and always listen to a podcast. I, I don't know, but there are people who need to hear, hey, it's hard. It hurts. And there's a different future if you don't stop. Because if you don't have someone modeling it for you, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know? How do you know? And it's, it, I'd say entrepreneurship is one of the loneliest places sometimes. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, you're, especially if you're building something that doesn't exist. Yeah, of course, like bakeries exist, but you're the way you see the world that doesn't exist. And it feels a little lonely. And you've got, especially like there's criticism in a lot of different places. And there, Ooh. there's a lot of places to yield to that criticism. Yes. So the resilience factor for a successful entrepreneur is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you really have to you have to find your own space where you can just have your own dialogue, right? Where you have your, whatever, where you have like earmuffs, blinders, where it's just you and your thoughts and and the things that your body are telling mm -hmm. you are true, right? Mm -hmm. Like take a step forward. Doesn't matter what they say, take a step forward. There has to be an unstoppable part of who you are, which is why I go back to passion because mm -hmm. I think if it's really your passion, all of those things are true. Yes. Of course, it's hard. It's lonely. It's scary. There are so many more adjectives I could use, but somehow if it's the thing that you're very, 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 very passionate about, if not the most passionate mm -hmm. about, somehow all of that is true mm -hmm. and yet it doesn't stop you. Yeah. It, there's something that still keeps you going. There's something that still lifts your foot up and puts it a little bit further out yes. than it was the day before. It's chasing the spark. That's that's what I call it. It's like it's like what what that's the thing that keeps me going is what's life giving. It isn't about just doing what feels good. It's like I've got a purpose. It's anchored in something and I'm chasing that spark every day to make sure I'm lighting a a fire that's going to help, that's going to, you know, do something meaningful for somebody else, yes. right? Um I think and, of it as like a Sisyphean thing too. Mm. Which I can't remember what grade I was in that I was doing a report my mom was like, that's the one. Go after that, like that one, and then like blow it out. But I, but this idea of someone that is rolling a ball up a hill every single day, knowing good and well the ball, they're just gonna, it, you have to love routine. You have to love just that cold, hard march into and forward when you can't see the future, mm -hmm. when you don't know if this is a day that's gonna define me for mm -hmm. good or for bad. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be a day I remember it all, et cetera, et cetera. Just like you have to love the beauty of this, the daily routine of waking up every day with the commitment to build, not knowing what else it holds other yeah. than it needs you mm -hmm. and you gotta show up and do it mm -hmm. no matter what. This recording was brought to us by our partners at Heartland. To learn more about the Entrepreneur's Studio, visit www.heartland.us. Did you know? The National Restaurant Association produces and hosts several webinars each month to serve and grow the industry. Topics ranging from hiring and workforce, food safety, DE&I, and the most relevant policy topics for restaurants. All previous webinars are also available for on-demand viewing. To learn more about upcoming and recorded webinars, please visit restaurant.org slash events slash learning. 
Thanks so much for listening to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. Follow us on your favorite podcast player and find out more at restaurant.org slash podcasts. Episode produced by Dante32.